Over two weeks ago on August 10, I get a text message from our justice reporter, Lian Buan, about a killing. She says Randa Lechani is the chairman of the Anak Pawis party list and a peace consultant of the National Democratic Front was killed earlier that day. She says it was announced by the National Union of People's Lawyers. Do you have a police report? She asks me. I ask the location. Novaliches, Quezon City, she says. As usual, I first check the Viber group for reporters covering the Quezon City Police District, or QCPD. Nothing. I then call the police chief of the police station covering Novaliches, Police Lieutenant Colonel Hector Amancha of the QCPD Police Station 4. I tell him that Echanis, a high-profile activist, was killed in his area, and if he's received a report about it. He says no. He says there is no Randy Echanis killed in his area of responsibility. What he has, he says, is a report on a stabbing incident concerning two men, Manuel Santiago and Luis Tagapia. He says he will call once they have a report on Echanis. Seeing that police reports do sometimes take time, especially when it comes to high-profile killings, I tell him that I will call again in the next hour. The story soon breaks on major news outlets, but these stories also lack information from the police. I keep on calling the station commander, but he still has no updates. He repeats what he said earlier, there's only a stabbing incident of two men in their apartment. By the end of the day, the police still has no report on Echanis. Amansha only has one report to give out to the media, an apartment break-in where a certain Manuel Santiago and Luita Gapia were stabbed to death. One of the men, Manuel Santiago, it turns out, is Randy Achanis. Hello, I'm Rambo Talapo, Rappler's Police and Crime Reporter. This is Rappler's Crime Podcast, Criminal. In this podcast, we revisit crime stories that are significant in understanding Philippine politics and society. In this episode, we will dive into the case of Randy Achanis. Who is Randal Echanis, known as Karandi in activist circles? Echanis came from a lower-middle-class family. As a student at the Philippine College of Commerce in the 60s, now the Polytechnic University of the Philippines, Echanis joined protests against the United States' aggression in Vietnam. The young Echanis then joined the Kabataang Makabayan, an underground youth organization espousing radical change. He became the chapter president of the University of the East in the 70s. Activism opened his eyes to the reality of Philippine society and the atrocities committed by people in power. His value formation was greatly affected by the dictatorship of Ferdinand Marcos, who declared martial law in 1972, ushering in a dark era of suppression of basic freedoms. My uh, countrymen, as of the 21st of uh, this month, I signed Proclamation Number 1081, placing the entire Philippines under martial law. In fact, Kabataang Makabayan was banned under Marcos. Echanis joined the historic First Quarter Storm in 1970, which was a period of civil unrest mostly organized by students against the Marcos regime. In the late 70s, Echanis became a peasant organizer in the countrysides, among them Cagayan Valley, Cordillera, and Ilocos. In 1983, he was arrested and became a political prisoner. 
he was placed in solitary confinement in Camp Aguinaldo, the headquarters of the Armed Forces of the Philippines in Quezon City. From 1984 to 1986, he was transferred to Camp Aduro, a military facility in Tugigarao, Cagayan. There, he remained under isolation. He was released in 1986 following the toppling of Marcos by the People Power Revolution. At 38, Echanis continued his advocacy for political prisoners by joining the Samahan ng mga ex-detainees laban sa detensyon at para sa amnestia, or CELDA. He was also part of the pre-formation of the human rights group Karapatan. In 1990, he was arrested again for alleged illegal possession of firearms. He was physically and mentally tortured for a week before he was transferred to the Camp Krame Custodial Center. His wife and two-year-old daughter were also detained. His daughter, Amana, became known then as the youngest political prisoner. He was released two years later in 1992, after the illegal possession complaint was dismissed. In 2002, Echanis began helping with peace negotiations between the Philippine government and the National Democratic Front of the Philippines to end the insurgency. In his decades of activist work, Echanis touched many lives from different parts of the Philippines. He was there for them in their own personal and political struggles. When news of his violent death on August 10 broke out, mourning and outrage run deep not just among his comrades and friends, but also the peasants, workers, and NGO workers he organized. Listening to the second episode of Criminal, Rappler's Crime Podcast. How's it so far? If you want to listen to other cool and informative audio, check out other Rappler podcasts on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. This crime podcast wouldn't have been possible without your support. If you haven't yet, support Rappler by joining our community called Rappler Plus. Rappler Plus believes in speaking truth to power, using technology for the greater good. To power communities to action. Go to rappler.com slash plus for more details. Many issues arise with the criminal investigation of the murder of Randy Achanis. The two biggest ones? The identity and possession of his body. Police are only allowed to release the body to relatives, or when relatives are absent, to friends of the dead. In the case of Randy Achanis, his family claims his body on the afternoon of August 10. The police allow it. Strangely, in the evening, police seize the body back from Echanis's family, insisting that the man was Manuel Santiago. The family wanted to take it to a St. Peter's Funeral Homes branch, but the police take it to their preferred funeral parlor, the Pink Petals Funeral Homes in La Loma, Quezon City. What's their basis for saying that the body was Manuel Santiago? The identification card they obtained from the crime scene bore the name Manuel Santiago. The ID of Manuel Santiago has the picture of Randy Chanis and says he was the senior business consultant of the company Inotech Solutions Inc. The ID is obviously fake. A quick search on the internet would confirm that the face is that of National Democratic Front peace negotiator Randy Chanis. 
Still, the police insist on using it as a basis for rejecting the family's claim. To dispute the fake ID, the police says a laboratory test is needed to confirm the body's identity, which meant either a fingerprint test or a DNA test. In the end, the body is confirmed to be Echanis through a fingerprint test. His family had to look for an ID that showed his fingerprints. After almost three days, Echanis' body is released. The autopsy follows the next day on August 13 at the Philippine General Hospital. During that time, Randy Echanis' wife, Erlinda, writes a letter to the Pink Petals Memorial Homes not to touch her husband's body without her consent. On the first night at Pink Petals, paralegal Paulo Colabres volunteers to guard Echanis' body. He is arrested by the police. He tests positive for the novel coronavirus after he was released a week later. The case of Mr. Randall Echanis, a 71-year-old male, was referred to us for autopsy as early as uh, Monday. On August 21, the autopsy is presented by forensic pathologist Raquel Fortun. Fortun delivers her presentation through a Zoom teleconference, showing her diagrams by sharing her screen with us, then taking questions after. Based on Fortun's findings, Echanis suffered a violent death. He was tortured. Fortun first explains the blunt force trauma Echanis suffered. He was dealt blows on the front and at the back of his head, suggesting he was hit repetitively before he was killed. It is unclear what was used to hit him, but the telltale signs of violence were told not by the trauma to the head, but by the stab wounds on his back. Echanis was stabbed around 40 times. According to Fortun's analysis, the 40 stab wounds were dealt with at least two weapons. One pointed weapon left 0.5cm punctures, and another 2cm blade-like weapon left wider holes on Echanis' body. The stab wounds are spread out over Echanis' back. He had stab wounds as high as his nape and as low as his right buttocks. One wound proves to be fatal. A stab wound in the middle of his back pierces his aorta, the vein that pumps out the blood from his heart. It was the final stab wound, Fortun says, and it killed him instantly. This suggests that Echanis was tortured with around 39 stab wounds before he was decisively killed. Mr. Echanis sustained one fatal injury. Ito yung stab wound at the back nga na pinamaan yung ayorta niya. That killed him at once. However, he had other injuries which were inflicted while he was still alive. And you see the distribution at the back. And you see, dito, dito mo nakikita yung parang may pattern siya. Uh, it implies intent. Uh, tapos hindi muna siya pinatay agad. How does this fit in the police investigation? The QCPD theorizes Echanis might not have been the primary target of the killing, but his neighbor in the apartment, Louis Tagapia. The 48-year-old Tagapia, police say, was recently in prison for a drug-related sentence. He was released in 2020. The QCPD says Tagapia bore a tattoo affiliated with a criminal group, Sputnik Gang and the rival group may have decided to kill him. 
Agapya is found dead in his room with his hands tied behind him, while Echanis is found dead on a folding bed. Echanis could have been pinned down and then stabbed multiple times at the bed, Fortun says. Police say Tagapia could have been the primary target, but the killers decided to eliminate Echanis too. Quezon City cops also say they found no traces of forced entry at the door, suggesting that Echanis and Tagapia knew their killers and might have let them in. It is also possible they had forgotten to lock the door, the police say. Echanis' colleagues reject the police's version of events. Anakpawis leader, Ariel Casilao, says it's nothing but a cover-up of a cold-blooded murder. For someone of Echanis' stature, Casilao dismisses the story of Echanis being a collateral damage in a syndicate war. Casilao says they suspect that state forces, either the police or the military, are behind the killing. Echanis' lawyer, Rachel Pastores of the National Union of People's Lawyers, says her client had been receiving death threats since the peace talks broke down between the Duterte administration and the National Democratic Front, or NDF, in 2019. Echanis was one of the political consultants for the peace deal. Pastores says that at the time of the collapse of the peace talks, Echanis was detecting that he was under surveillance. As of the time of recording of this podcast, the police have yet to announce any leads on the killing of Echanis. They have not announced any suspects or persons of interest. For NUPL President Edre Olalia, the police should hand over investigation to an impartial body. In a text message, he tells me that from the beginning, police failed to properly move forward with its probe, starting with a tug of war for Chanis's body. Even forensic pathologist Raquel Fortun says the police could have done more to aid in her analysis of the crime by giving her more samples and a comprehensive report of the crime scene, but she was only limited to examining the body. Listen to what Randy Echanis's wife, Erlinda, says about the police investigation, as read by Casilao. Brutal ang pagpaslang at karumaldumal ang sinapit ni Karandi sa kamay ng mga maysala. Malayo sa simpleng krimen o robbery na ipinipilit ng mga polis ang nangyari sa aking asawa. Mayroong malinaw na intensyon na siya ay patayin, ngunit bago ang pagkitil ay dumanas muna siya ng karumaldumal na torture kung saan pinatunayan din ng resulta ng autopsy. Iginigiit namin ng pagpaslang kay Karandi ay extrajudicial at political, politically motivated na may kaugnayan sa kanyang trabaho bilang konsultant ng National Democratic Front of the Philippines Peace Panel at chairperson ng Anak Pawis Party List. Walang ibang may motibo at may kapasidad na gumawa nito kundi ang mga armadong pwersa ng rehimen na hindi tumigil sa pagtugis kay Karandi at sa mga kagayan niyang leader aktivista. For activists, the killing of Randi Achanis is painful. But more sadly, his killing was preceded by the violent death of Randi Malayao, in January 2019. Malayao, also a peace consultant, was aboard a bus to Isabela when it made a stop in Aritao town in Nueva Vizcaya. At the stop, a gunman boarded his bus and shot him twice. Some reports say he was sleeping when he was killed. Until today, Malayao's killing continues to be unsolved. 
a week after Echanis was killed, another activist was shot in Bacolod City, Zara Alvarez. Like Malayao and Echanis, police have not made substantial progress in probing her death. The quest for justice for slain activists have always been tricky. Having spent their lives fighting the system, sometimes even hunted or harassed by law enforcers, there is negative trust between activists and police and military forces. Randy Achanis spent years in detention in police camps. He also spent years in the streets protesting state violence. When he died, these same state forces become the primary agencies in charge of investigating his death. Looking at Randy Achanis's brutal end, the political dimension of the case stands out. It comes at a time when there is a series of violent attacks on the left. It comes at a time when President Rodrigo Duterte does not fail to call activists terrorists and the number one public enemy, even during a pandemic. It comes at a time when the police, the proving body here, is collectively accused of thousands of other brutal deaths in the drug war. The friends and family of Randy Achanis do not hope for an impartial probe by the police. All they ask is that it be transferred to an impartial body, like the Commission on Human Rights. All they ask is that others continue Randy Achanis' quest for a just and humane society.